Hello and welcome to Eremus Soccer, our journey through the Women's 2023 World Cup with England, joined by former Preston North End Women's Manager Sean Spencer, um, adorned in a classic, and I mean classic, Liverpool FC kit right now. Um, 1980 what, Sean? Nine, 89. Classic vintage. Juggernaut Liverpool in those days. Rush, um, Aldridge, Barnes, Hansen, still Hansen, still around? I if Hansen was there. I think they had Stoughton, didn't they? Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. The good old days. Former EPL era. The section of Twitter which constantly repeats that football wasn't born in 1992. Very proud of you, Sean. And so am I. Middlesbrough were probably in the second division in that season. So, anyway, back to back at the ranch. <laughs> we are at World Cup semi-final time. Uh, classic game. Uh, classic game across sports, right? England v Australia. You've got uh, the cricket, the Ashes series. You've got um, Michael Owen's England debut, ruined by a 3-1 Australia win. Brett Emerton and the gang. You've got... Um, Rugby World Cup, forgetting the year, but Johnny Wilkinson in this very stadium hitting the winning drop goal, and it's played in a stadium where Kathy Freeman um, also won the 400 metres for Australia in the Olympics. And reports pre-game were the Matildas games, the Australian women's team games, were drawing the largest ratings on TV of any sport since that event, which is pretty mind-blowing. Uh, numbers wise, right? This seems like a real, a real watershed in numbers for the women's game and the viewership of it. Yeah, I, I, and also with with Australia, Australia have always been a massive, massive sporting nation. The rugby, like you mentioned, I think it was two thousand and three, the World Cup final. All right, um, and then you know we've been brought up with with obviously Australia, New Zealand with the rugby, and then we've been brought up with the Ashes, the importance of the cricket. Um, and then, yeah, the the soccer side, the soccer side, they've never really been at the races compared to, to England for the most part. But then, yeah, here we are now with the, the women's national team that are a good, solid quality team. And I think the Australian nation are well and truly behind them in this uh, competition. It's not like they've been waiting for it for a, for a long, long time. Yeah, and uh, England have played 37 games under coach Serena Wigman coming in here. They've lost one. That loss was to Australia. Uh, the Nations have played six times, three England wins, two Australian wins and a draw, with this being the first World Cup clash. So even some history to this fixture, right? England got here. Um, we came out of the gate with a toiled win against Haiti, 1-0. Um, a 1-0 win against Denmark with a little bit better performance. A 6-1 demolition job on China with uh, a Lauren James masterclass. Um, a life and death battle with Nigeria where England go through after a scoreless dawn, a shootout. And a entertaining and live wire 2-1 quarterfinal win against Colombia. Um, Australia uh, stalled a little more in the group stages. Uh, they had a 
1-0 win in their first game as host nation over World Cup debutants Ireland. Uh, a Catley penalty there. Then they really stuttered. They had a 3-2 defeat to Nigeria, which opened the door for the group where I think most people thought that the Olympic gold medal winners Canada and Australia were going to uh, progress. And uh, Nigeria threw the cat among the pigeons there. Uh, but they bounced back in style. Um, 4-0 win over the gold medalist Canada. Canada to make the round of 16 where they play another impressive game, a 2-0 win over a Denmark team that England had made harder work of in a 1-0 game um, and then beat the heavily, you know, heavily fancied pre-tournament France on a 10-round penalty shootout in the quarterfinal. Uh, so we have a game right now. Um, England come in. Lauren James is still suspended. Uh, we keep the 3-5-2 formation. Carter, Bright and Greenwood in front of goalkeeper Earps. Now familiar wing-back pairing of Daly and Bronze. Uh, Stanway, Walsh and Toon in midfield with Russo and Hemp up front. Um, not a lot of weaknesses on this team, Sean. I know Lauren James is out, but Ella Toon is a more than capable replacement. It's it's a very strong lineup, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, and like I said, I don't think there is really any any weaknesses. I think there's just different types of player that you know add a different dynamic to the to the England team. So you know, you take out James, and that just changes the dynamic slightly to the to the starting eleven. But I also feel like there's not necessarily weaker players coming into the team. Yeah. Um... Sam Kerr, the Chelsea star, gets her first start up front of the tournament. She's been kind of managing a muscle injury, but I think a World Cup semi-final is the time to to roll the dice. Um, we have Arnold in goal, the hero of the French shootout. We have a centre-back pairing of Polkinghorne and Hunt. Uh, Polkinghorne replacing Kennedy, who was actually sick and not able to attend the stadium, so hopefully that's not... COVID, fullback pairing of Catley and Carpenter. Wingers in front of them, Ford, and I thought the very impressive Rasso um, with Cooney Cross and Gorry in midfield and Kerr and Fowler up front. Uh, coached by Gustafsson, who has already won two World Cups as a uh, assistant with the USA. So no, no short of experience there. Uh, England probably... Bookmakers' favourites, but home field advantage in front of a crowd that's going to be touching 80,000, pretty significant, right? Yeah, and if you go off the old uh, Soconomics book, it's worth one goal, isn't it? I did not it's, know that. Yeah, um, good book. I think it's Stefan... Is, is that in tournament play or is that just in general? Internationals. International games, um, home field advantage. It's worth a goal. Very interesting. Yeah, Stefan Szymanski. <laughs> Semantics. That will be a great name for a statistics author. Yeah, um, that's a great book as well, by the way. Another factor that makes it a big task for England is 20 players in the Australian squad have over 100 caps. That is a wealth of experience. Um. Very aesthetically pleasing matchup. Australia, gold jerseys, green shorts, white socks. 
England going with the all blue, which I can never watch England playing without thinking of the Paul Gascoigne, uh, Gary Lineker era. And um, England with a statement of intent early doors. Sam Kerr's on the ball, fouled in the first minute near the centre spot by Walsh, not messing around there. Um, we get the uh, we get the first chance of the game in the seventh minute. It's a long ball over the top to Kerr, who already looks pretty impressive. And like Kai said, or the game before, there's a very audible, you know, buzz in the crowd when the ball goes near this woman. Um, Earths, Earths makes the save. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a bullet across England's bows about the danger that Sam Kerr is going to, uh, going to flash throughout the game. Um, ninth minute England chance of their own. It's direct again. You know, it's, very big games, they tend to have this pattern, right? Like heavy pressure in the middle third, chances coming in balls over the top. Uh, Greenwood chips a pass to Stanway. She's in behind and she forces what I thought was a good save from Arnold. And in the 10th minute, we get a yellow card for Greenwood, uh, the England centre-back, which is, is very, very early to get a yellow card as a centre-back, right? Especially on the road. Um, it revs the crowd up. Um this is not great. You're playing in a cauldron. Uh, these this crowd's going to get on the ref uh, every foul, and you have the girl who I think is England's best defender through the tournament. She's on a yellow already. That's, that's a bit of a subtle early advantage for the home team, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. Needless, I would say. I don't think it was needed, but I, I also can't help but think that, you know, the... Tent was there probably before the game. I think she knew she was going to do that type of tackle on on uh, Samka early on. Yeah. Um, England corner, it's a very familiar combination through the tournament daily, back post to bronze. Uh, the Australian defender, Catley, manages to clear. Um, Greenwood's already heavily involved on both ends, right? Um, I think for the third game in a row, she might be um, the best player on the England team. Sends in another corner, uh, daily heads it over. Um, sorry, lost my internet for a second there. My apologies. <laughs> um, we get a longer England possession. Um, this is a good way to uh, to control the game for England, right? Because these periods of play where the back three are switching the point of attack, they're finding the wing back who's finding a six or going back. It's it's not doing any damage to Australia. That's um that's certainly not the case. But it is calming the crowd somewhat, right? You know, there's a TV statistic comes on here that the average ball recovery time is uh seven seconds for England and 25 seconds for Australia. So England seemed to me to be very deliberately rolling the ball around and try and take the wins out the sale of this crowd and not have some manic end-to-end shootout. Yeah, and I feel as though that's what they've tried to do throughout the tournament is, you know, to control the game the best they can through possession. Um, And with the change in formation with the three at the back, you know, daily or bronze are normally free as that outlet. And then they try and do a little bit of a combination with, like you said, with with the midfielders. If need be, they can always go back to to Walsh and it just gets recycled. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of a lot of teams don't really know how to to combat that and we we spoke about Nigeria being very d- disciplined in in the middle sort of being compact and 
and and not really given the space. Australia were, I wouldn't say they were at Nigeria's level, but they were also sort of comfortable in defending. You know, they've got the quality there, and and you could see that they were looking to to try and win the ball back and, you know, Fowler and Sam Kerr up top. So I think that was sort of the game plan from from the start. But at the same the same um, token, it definitely sort of quieted the crowd a little bit, which definitely played into England's favour. Yeah. England come again. Uh, Russo swaps passes with Ella Toon, who seems the highest of that midfield three, the most consistently. Um, she drives into the area just outside the right-sided post, smashes the shot wide. It's one of those that ripples the side netting, and I'm sure there's a little section of the crowd celebrating, thinking it's gone in. It's one of those kind of shots. Um, in the 18th minute, TV statistics shows that England have a good advantage of a 4-0 advantage in shots, but they almost take a, a bad 2-0 lead, what could have been a second yellow card, which would have been bad. Lucy Bronze pushes forward in the back. Um it's a heavy appeal from a sizable crowd. Bronze gets away with it. Probably a little bit fortunate here, do you think? Yeah, and I, I do feel as though um, I've been critical in the past with the the referees, but I thought thought this referee does a does an okay job um, managing the home nation in a semi final. Um, you know, and and I, and I feel as though if she had set her stall out early with what she was giving yellow cards for, if they were weaker and there's no sort of room to come back from that, I think um, you know potentially the game could have got a little bit out of hand. So I think these types of fouls and stuff she sort of let go a little bit, which which is fine and it yeah. certainly helps. You're right. I mean, England could go into a hole with two. Uh... Two of their best defenders on yellows halfway through the first half, right? Um, mm-hmm. 23rd minute, England keep coming, man. Ella Toon, it's a pretty heavy foul on Gory in centre midfield. No card again. Um, England are not shy here, you know, and I do think it's a psychological thing. I don't think uh, they're trying to cheat and hurt people, but I think there's very much an attitude of, you know, we're in front of a big, hostile crowd against a very experienced home nation, and we are not taking a backward step. We are not backing down. We are meeting fire with fire. I think it's a very intentional tactic, and I think it's very impressive execution um, in, a, in a hostile environment. Um, Carter gets a talking to a minute later. Um, she's tight uh, right to the back of Kerr. She raises a high boot. Um, England are... Um, it's like the, the inversion of the Nigeria game, because when I watched the Nigeria game, I thought England were caught off guard by the defensive quality, the strength and the intensity of Nigeria. And frankly, mm-hmm. I thought they were second best for the majority of the game. I'm wondering if what we're seeing here is the Nigeria game is a part of a journey to get England to this point, And they have made the decision that that's not going to happen to them again. They're not going to be second guest, second best on the physical side of things again. And they are, they're going to get into Australia. And I think without it, they probably lose this game. Uh, free kick gets swung to the back post. Daly wins the challenge, challenge, head the ball to Earps. And, you know, England don't look dominant in the 30 minutes, but they do look strong. Um, they do look tough to beat. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They have vibes of the very successful German men's teams of the 90s, just 
I don't know if I'd call it magical or beautiful, but it's very effective. It's very tough to beat, and it's very impressive and organised. Um, 30th minute, back-to-back corners for England. The first one falls to Russo at the back post. Uh, shot shot gets deflected uh, behind. Second, um, bronze at the back post again, uh, headed clear. Two minutes later, there's a loose pass from Carter. It's an error. I think it's a pretty bad error. Uh, it's jumped on by the the impressive race, so she drives forward into what becomes kind of a uh, a fast break attack. It's a five v five with two or three of the England girls recovering behind the ball. She plays a good pass into the right back Carpenter, who lets England off the hook a bit by overhitting the cross. It's an escape. Uh, there's a corner followed by it. Um, Rasso on the wing or Raso, I might be pronouncing it wrong, and Sam Kerr. Look very dangerous in the early stages of this game, right? And now you've got me doubting Russo, Rosso. Um, I, uh, I think it's Rosso on Australia, obviously Russo on England. The right winger number 16, I believe it's Rosso. Yeah. yeah she's, been, she's been quality throughout the, the tournament and pretty consistent with with how she plays. Um, I, I highly rated her from from like you know the group stage and uh, it's sort of this what you just said then is kind of like the pattern throughout the game you know it doesn't really change England have control of the game for for a, a small period of play and then all of a sudden you know these players that you mentioned the Fowler Ford and um Russell <laughs> And Kerr, uh, yeah, and 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 Sam Kerr are, are just very dangerous players in in the attacking third. Yeah, uh, thirty six minute England take a lead. Um, home crowd takes a takes a hit on this one. I would I would say silences the stadium, but it doesn't really because you know it's a very loud stadium. But there you find out after this goal that there is a pocket of England players. Sorry, a pocket of England fans there that sounds pretty sizable. Um, it's a long possession uh, that ends up with Daly winning the winning the throw-in from a challenge with Russo. Throwing gets taken to Hemp, who takes a touch to a strike partner Russo. Uh, Russo cuts it back. It um, Hemp runs a defender past the cutback, falls to Ella Toon. She smashes the ball far corner, sort of moving away from the keeper. A beautifully hit ball, um, and this is the first time in the to- first time in the tournament that Australia have gone 1-0 down. Really good goal. And I think uh, part of this goal, if you look at the story of the tournament, this goal only happens because England switched to the front pair after the first two games, right? This is very much a case of Russo and Hemp interchanging with each other. Even when Russo cuts back to tune, Hemp plays a pretty key role in running a defender off. This is a goal that comes from the strike pairing and the formation in the system, right? Yeah. And, and also to build on that, you know what shouldn't be underestimated here is the technical execution of that goal and yep. banger, yeah. And but some of the goals that were seen throughout the tournament, certainly from the England team, you know James's goal, like technically very very difficult skill to execute. Never mind in a semi final of a World Cup. Yeah, I mean it's not saveable this ball, right? No, it's the way it's, uh, hit, the way it's moving, the angle it's going in. Yeah, I, I remember back in around 96 playing and my granddad coming to watch me 
and him going crazy for me, hitting everything off the outside of my foot. So I'm a big fan of these like banana shots to give it the old classic name. So yeah, this was a beautiful Grand- goal. Granddad Spencer is somewhere raging over this goal. Is that what we're saying? Oh yeah, he wanted everything. <laughs> <in history. laughs> Technically correct. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I honestly I love this goal. Probably my favorite one so far. Um a pretty daunting stat for Australia comes on the screen. Uh, when England score first in World Cup play, 16 wins, two draws, zero losses. That's impressive because I keep reminding people England's uh, England's success at the World Cup is relatively recent, right? You know, I saw something on Twitter. Someone said, oh, you know, Colombia lost 2-1 to England, but eight years ago they lose that game 10-0. Well, not really because they did play in the World Cup eight years ago. The score was 2-1. And at that point, England never won a knockout game in a World yeah. Cup. And they've made the last now three semi-finals, including this game. But before that, it was really nothing for England women's football. So for 20 games, unbeating, scoring first, pretty impressive stuff. Um, England come again in the 43rd minute, um, but the attack ends. Uh, Daly hangs up across to the back post and Hemp fouls Catley while attacking the ball. Um, as halftime comes, the game's starting to, to really bubble up. There's a deep cross to the back post. It gets headed behind behind by Lucy Bronze. Uh, Daly heads away the corner. There's a second header comes in. It gets deflected into the air uh, by Carter and Earps collects it. Um, but Australia, they're kind of stung into an immediate response. Uh, Gorry fires a shot from outside the area. It's right at Herps. But um, there, w- there was a, a show of spirit from Australia and very much a uh, a backlash response from the goal. So we get to halftime. I'm watching this as an England fan. It's not a bad performance at all, but Kerr looks very, very dangerous. Raysaw looks very, very dangerous. Um, Stanway, Toon and um, Walsh are playing very well, but probably playing a bit more of the game in their own defensive third than they would hope. But you've got a 1-0 lead. Um, so I don't know that I'd be inclined to change the system. Um, more just try and sharpen up the execution personally. And I know sometimes that seems like a cop-out because we feel like we have to always do something. What what are you thinking if you're the England boss at halftime here? Yeah, I I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I think sharpening it up, like you said, definitely. I think you've just got to put a few sort of warnings in the knowing how quickly things could change during this second half you know like what what happens if we got another goal what happens if they get a goal what happens if they get a goal later on and i think these are the the sort of the questions she'll be asking herself and and putting to the here's a question sean because i really like your checklist of thoughts there and i'm a believer that you always think that but how much of that do you share with your players and how much of that is a mental checklist for the coach I think in this, you know what one goal would do, so you have to you have to tell them that uh, I believe because otherwise they're going to find themselves out there on the field with seventy plus whatever it is thousand fans screaming for Australia. You're already against it with with the home crowd. Um, and you, you, you've really got to try and get into the heads that 
regardless of what happens, they just need to keep to the to the game plan. And and that's really the trick. So I, I think I, I would definitely speak to them about the possibilities of what could happen. Yeah. Um 49th minute. Uh the first chance of the second half comes. It's a foul across to the back post. Um, Ford heads it on goal. It's a pretty soft header. It's a good save by Herbs, but Australia kind of get the first chink of light. Um, I would say the early stages of the second half, Australia is the better team. Uh, they have longer spells of possession for me. The stat doesn't come back up, but I imagine that England ball recovery has grew significantly from seven seconds. Uh, the centre mids, uh, Cooney Cross, which is a hyphenated name, that's one woman, and Gorry are more involved. Uh, the left back, Catley, is getting the ball in higher positions. She's not, she's not damaging England yet, but she's getting in high spots. She's getting the ball there. She's moving the England midfield around. And I just feel like the first 10 minutes of the second half, whatever adjustments came from Australia, they worked a little bit better than the England adjustments. Um, a very interesting, interesting statistic to me in the 56 minutes. England have a 10-1 advantage in fouls. So obviously the knee jerk to that is our England are cheating. Um, but you know, nobody said that about Nigeria when there was a similar pattern. I don't think anybody's cheating or deliberately injuring anyone. Um, and while I'm not saying cheats, I do think people play the victim very quickly nowadays when it comes to refs having agendas against them. And I believe that in a World Cup semi-final, there's an aggression level where you'd expect to concede free kicks. And I don't know if you I find it surprising that a team's an hour into a semi-final of a World Cup and we've fouled the opposition once. And if the response is, well, Australia are doing such a better job defensively, they're so much more skilled than England, that England are fouling and they're not. Uh, I didn't really see that. I thought England were more rattled by Nigeria. I thought England were more rattled by Colombia. I thought England were more rattled by Haiti. Um, obviously, China, I thought, were very poor against England, but I would uh, I would say in terms of pressure on the ball, this is probably England's third most difficult game of the tournament. Um, I thought Nigeria gave them more problems. I thought Colombia gave them more problems. Uh, maybe even fourth behind Haiti. So while Australia have all this attacking quality, um, and they do have quality, it's, it's a bit easy for England to play at times here, right? Yeah, and, and just going back to that um, statistic, we all know Marcelo Bielsa. And, yeah. presume, and if you don't, people should know who Marcelo Bielsa is. But his uh, statistically, every single one of his teams has the highest foul rate yeah. because of insane pressure he puts on teams. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Yeah, and no, I remember there was this, no one calls Bielsa a cheat, right? Um, exactly. Um, I also remember a stat. I wish I had the uh, the years in front of me. But two or three years in a row, Pep's Barcelona led La Liga in fouls in the opposing half. And these aren't vicious, nasty guys. You know, these are just a, a high-pressing team that has clumsy fouls as a result of constantly trying to win the ball. Um, England win a corner when Hemp smacks a shot from 20 yards out. It gets tipped round the post by a diving Arlenwald. It's a good save, but it's one of those where... Um, uh, I don't think you ever expect it to go in when you're watching it live. Uh, Greenwood takes the corner, finds Millie Bright, header goes wide. Um, 
And despite my rant about fouling and lack of defensive effort from Australia, I don't think it's effort. I think it's more a, you know, just a lack of emphasis on pressing. We have an Australian goal in the 63rd minute and we differ a little bit here. I think it's magical. Um, I couldn't get the number on the replay, but the Australian centre-back, she steps up, she wins the ball. Uh, The centre-mid, Gorry, who came into the game a bit in the second half, collects the ball. She feeds Kerr around the halfway line. Uh, Millie Bright is backing off, probably not believing that Kerr's ever going to hit it from there. Kerr strives forward. I think uh, Ford de- deserves credit because she overlaps and kind of takes away the cover defender. And as Bright backs off, Kerr carries it about 25 yards and bang, you know, smashes it. Top corner, stadium erupts, um, momentum up, crowd up, all of a sudden. You know, this could go from what's an impressive England performance to a very, very tough performance. Uh, very, very tough situation for England. 1-1, but momentum with the whole, ta- whole team. You didn't seem quite as on board with my belief that this goal is just a banger, Sean. Discuss. <laughs> I know. And I've actually I spoke to my friend about this as well. And he's, he's with you. Um and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to my friend, who's a goalkeeper coach, Big Tony Warner, and I'm going to see what his thought is. Yeah, big tone on the podcast. Yeah, I I think I think it's a great hit from Kerr. I think Millie Bright, as a defender, I do not know why she's putting her onto a right foot. Like I don't, I just don't know why you're not putting her onto a left foot. And anyway, and I'm then sure, is there a chance here? And I'm not making excuses, but uh, this is a game of fine margins, millimeters, if you will. Yeah. Um, is it just possible that she doesn't think she's going to score from there? Well, if this was anybody else, then maybe, but. Every single person knows that she's, you know, if not the best player in the world, women's player in the world, one of the best players in the world. So I just don't, you know, if this was Marta or somebody like there's the same thing. You're expecting them to score from anywhere. So the fact that she's given, what, eight yards and shown her onto a stronger foot is is absolute madness for for me and then the goalkeeper and I've watched it because I knew this was going to come up I've watched this on on YouTube over and over again and she sets Earps sets herself pretty well she does a jump when the ball's in the air then she lands and then she takes another little jump up and then jumps flat-footed sort of backwards there's no she doesn't like propel off the floor or anything. She doesn't step to the right. I I, I just think the quality of Erps. I just think like, she can get it. I just think she can get it. You know, I I heard Rob uh, Rob Green speak about goalkeeping once, and he talks about those little jumps that we don't think of much. And you know, you might make that jump and. The ball's 25 yards away, but then your feet hit the ground again. Now it's 18, 15 yards away, and that's the difference. Um, and and I, th- I think that's what's happened. Right. Because she jumps, she jumps both feet six inches off the ground, 
and then lands, and the ball's already in flight. And then she takes this mini jump up and then lands and then jumps. So I, I just don't think... I think looking at it, and like I said, I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna research this a little bit more to see if I'm just um, losing the plot. But I think it's a great hit, and I think it was a great goal. But the level of herbs, I think she can do better. So we're in talks to get a um, a goalkeeping coach from one of the uh, knockout round teams of the recent Concacaf Men's Gold Cup. And you have my word that he will be watching this clip and we will be covering it again. <laughs> we will not let this go. Um, despite the goal, I'm constantly seeing and hearing things that I love from this England team. Um, they're just a very mentally strong group. The camera pans out and you've got in the background, the fans going wild. Uh, Sam Kirk, you know, she's the hero. But Brighton Greenwood... Um, they don't look happy, but, you know, they don't look sad. They look, like, angered. Their shoulders are back. Uh, their faces look intense. Bright starts clapping, screaming. Um, I love this team. They're very results-driven, and I've compared them before favourably. We talk about England-Australia with the constant, I thought, nonsense coming from the England men's cricket team of the results don't matter, and then we start praying that it stops raining so we can get the results we want. Um, and, you know, there seemed to be an emphasis on how things looked and doesn't matter if you declare what's 20, 30 runs. This this England team is all about being in the moment, you know, play whatever game you're given. We'll beat Haiti 1-0, we'll beat China 6-1, we'll probably react and feel the same way. Um, it's, it's a group of winners. There's no Serena ball. There's no banging on about philosophy. I just see a quality team that fights, supports each other. And when the time comes to you know, provide the little bit of magic that wins games, they've got the ability to do that too. I, I love everything about this group. I think they're a study in how to be successful at team sports. Yeah. I, I You know what it reminds me of a little bit? It's like just being a street smart. You know, like if, you, if you're playing on the street as, you know, as a kid or whatever, you can't, you can't get affected by the other team scoring or, you know, the field not being right or the court not being right or somebody's older or somebody's stronger or somebody's cheating a little bit. You just you just get on with it. And I feel like, you know, certainly during the the, the sort of the 80s and the 90s, this this was the, the case, you know, teams would roll up the sleeves a little bit more and, and just sort of knuckle down. It's yeah. like old school values that they they seem to have in a in a in a modern era that still work. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's I think we spoke about this again on a on a previous one where it's easy now to you know complain to your agent. It's easy to, to throw the coach under the bus or blame a, a teammate or something like that. It, there's like these quick get out of jail free cards yeah which never really used to be the case like again 80s 90s well in the uh candy liverpool era sean's um, wardrobe playing a part in this podcast right now yeah and, and and i see it with with them even when we were speaking about the penalties 
like they they seem to enjoy it. They seem to enjoy the pressure of a penalty shootout in a World Cup, which you know you don't you don't necessarily see that much. So yeah, and and the, you just mentioned it. You know, Australia have just tied one one. You're in Australia. You you've got the crowd on your back, but they seem to embrace that, and you've got this kind of Wimbledon um, mentality of you know we're up against the favourites Liverpool in the in the nineties early nineties in the FA Cup final. Let's just go for it and get it done. Yeah, and you know England get put under the cosh a bit now. You know, sixty fifth minute. Kerr gets the ball again, crowd erupts, she drives into the 18 and seems a split second where Bronze and Carter, they're both hesitant to put the tackle in because they're scared to concede a pen. Then, you know, Carter put, does put a tackle in from behind. She gives away a corner. Um, you've got Cooney cross with the um, cross, I guess. Apologies for that. Uh, to the back post and Earps tips it away from a crowd. Second ball in, cleared. Third ball in finds Kerr, who's dominant right now. She drills a header at Earps. Um, her Kerr's dynamite right now. You know, she's unplayable right now. This is probably England's biggest fear. The veterans start balling out, the crowd on fire in the latter stages of the game. It's probably as bad as it gets. Um, but captain's performance at big moments, Millie Bright, she literally drives her team forward. She smashes a ball forward to bronze. Uh, who takes a lovely touch with the chest before chipping in a cross that clears everyone. England come again down the other side this time, and it's a hemp cross, gets headed wide by Russo. Um, the switch to a front two has really, really more made England more of a dangerous team on every level. I feel like in that 4-3-3 with Russo alone, these two get-out balls when England needed to get out, you know, 25 minutes left, crowd up, under pressure in those first two 1-0 two, wins, I feel like England would have been under more and more and more pressure. Um, I believe that second forward has allowed England to, a runner in the channel, has allowed England um, a second body in the box when most crosses come from the wing-backs. I believe it's actually been the difference in this game. I feel like if Russo's isolated alone in this exact spell of play, I don't know that those two balls forward come off. I don't know that if England can clear it, they can hold it up as well. And maybe they buckle under the pressure. Thoughts, Sean? Yeah, I agree once again. I think, you know, and this is why we're starting to see, We've again, we've spoke about this briefly, like the 4-4-2 starting to come back in with the two strikers there for that, that very reason. If you've got one isolated striker... Very, very difficult, especially, you know, if they've got two or three competent centre-backs. Um, and, I, and, and I feel I feel there's only certain strikers, single strikers, that can play that solo number nine role. So having having two there is, is always going to be problematic for, for opposition players. It's always going to ask questions of the defenders. Um, and I and I think I'm with you hundred percent. I think it was probably the best thing that's happened to England in this tournament. Yeah, and I think Russo is a better player next to him, just a fact, right? You know, in the in the group stage, she has a, a decent game without a goal against Haiti. 
She had a very average game, I thought, against Denmark without a goal. I think from memory, she got a goal against China in the 6-1, but who didn't? Um, but she played much better in the quarterfinal and she plays well here. Um, at the other end, Australia are in full get the ball to Kermode, 50-yard ball over the top. She chases it down. It's about a yard too far, goes to Earps, but the crowd is going nuts again. Anytime the ball goes nigger Sam Kerr right now, there is an eruption in the crowd. It's the definition of home field advantage. Um, and this game just becomes wildly entertaining. You know, in the 71st yeah. minute, England retake the lead. It's Millie Bright again. It's a ball forward out of pressure again. I think it's brilliant. People t- downplay the decisions of long ball, but this is very much to me a pass to beat a press to get her team off the back foot in a hostile environment. Um, she's reading the situation perfectly for me. When the Australia Australia have got their tails up and trying to find their front two, she pings it in behind the right back Carpenter. I believe this is an error from Carpenter. You know, on the replay, it looks like she has two chances to clear this ball, but this is the pressure that Bright's balls put Australia under. She can't do it. It falls to Hemp. Second game in a row, arguably, that Hemp's got a little fortunate bounce in front of the goal. She prods the ball. Uh, past Arnold, 2-1 England. Um, the announcer says it's a miscommunication between the goalkeeper and the defender. For me, that's protection of the defender. It's just bad defending, and Hemp has took advantage of it to the full. Uh, what did you think of this goal? Yeah, there's the same thing. She should have dealt with it. Centre-back should have dealt with it. But if you, as a defender, are running towards your own goal, it's it's always going to ask questions. It's very difficult to deal with. And then the worst thing you can ask for in that situation is a striker right on your back, waiting for you and just, you know, little touches here and there, breathing down your neck. Uh, it's, it's just always going to cause cause issues. Um, but, you know, you, you said about Hemp in the, in the previous game, scoring something, you know, similar with these sort of just latching onto mistakes, that's what good players do. You know, they can they can just gamble on them little mistakes, put in a little bit of work, and then that's where they're picking up these goals. And goals at massive times too, right? It, the first goal against Colombia was just minutes after England have gone a goal down to send them into half-time level. And then this is just minutes after England have been tied up 1-1 and the crowd's up. And she's put the crowd back down again, 2-1 England. Well, you talk about clutch, big moment goals. This is two of them right here. Um, Australia, they win a corner immediately. Um, Ford sends a cross in. Lucy Bronze takes one for the team from point-blank range, puts it behind. Uh, we got another Connie Cross cross. It's overhit, goal kick. And then we have a substitute for Australia with uh, Vine coming on, who scored the winning penalty against Friends. France for, I thought, the impressive race on the wing as they push for equaliser, to be fair. Vine's pretty impressive here in a stint off the bench. Um, second, 75th minute, we get that second Australian foul that I've been crying out for. Um, Ford crashes into Stanway. Stanway stays down. The crowd's booing. They're not having it. They think England's cheating and milking the clock. Um, we're obviously here going to get 15 minutes of straight kicking off. Uh, from the crowd to rush every stoppage and get the ball back in play. Seems early to me, but it's a World Cup semi-final. What are you going to do? Um, the, the the sub vine, she gets a couple of runs at Daly, gets a ball in each time. Greenwood clears them both. Uh, 81st minute, we get another Australian sub. 
it's understandable. You know, they're going out the tournament at home here. The defender, Polkinghorn, comes out. Um, the San Diego Wave attacker, Van Egmond, with a very intense expression on her face, comes in as Australia try and win it back. And uh, in the 82nd minute, we get a moment that might haunt Australian women's soccer fans like Paul Gascoigne stretching out and missing at the back post in the Euro 96 semi-final haunts you and I um, because this is a big, big moment. Uh, a ball's chipped in by Fowler. Fowler's kind of at the corner of the penalty area. She chips a ball in. It finds Kerr. She's in the middle of the goal, four to five yards out, middle of the goal. If she, To me, if she heads it either side, no chance of saves it and uh, the header goes over the bar. I thought it was a horrendous miss. It looks like Sam Kerr thinks it's a horrendous miss. What were you thinking watching this? Yeah, the same thing. It, it's a goal, isn't it? Yeah, it should be. Um, yeah. Australia keep coming. Uh, Vine hits a shot, uh, spills it, um, with a ball about to fall to Van Egmond to be a hero. Jess Carter makes a textbook defensive play for me. She's ball side, and it allows it to clear the ball. And so, so many times... This is a great lesson for young defenders. A defender will be touched tight, but still be beaten. And it's not about inside the 18 being tight and being close. It's about shades and angles. And the fact that Carter is shaded ball side here, I'd like to clear it. You're talking about one step difference where if Van Egmond is able to reach her foot across the front of Carter, that's an easy goal, right? So that, yeah. that clip to me is a, a teaching moment and a model to show a young defender how to defend around your own goal mouth. Um, absolutely brilliant play, arguably game-defining. Such players never get the headers, but to me that's every bit as important as Hemp's play at the attacking end of the field. Uh, five minutes left, get another corner. The suddenly very involved Fowler, she gets a shot, gets deflected behind. Um, and if you are a youth or college coach in the women's game, watch this game. Take the tape to where it says 84.20 on the clock, 84 minutes and 20 seconds, and watch the England team because the mental engagement of this defensive unit, the alert body language, the you know raised voices and positivity, heads on swivels, pointing, communicating, how they communicate with each other is just a great, great model for how kids should be send set players because... You know, a big error in development of youth, if you don't teach it properly, is when physical activity goes down, mental engagement goes down with it. And corners are a classic example of that. But this England team, they are locked in. Uh, Erps comes out to punch it. It's a pretty weak punch. Um, falls to Kerr again, guess who? About six years out, yards out. Ball smashed over the top. Um, Australia have had their chances here, right? You know, England uh, England are obviously not going to need some effort here, even though there's four minutes plus injury time. The the ball keeps falling to Kerr, keeps falling to Fowler. Uh, Hemp gets on the ball, uh, glides past Gorry in midfield, and then another great moment to teach young players on this third England goal because first Hemp drives past Gorry, then she car carries the ball forward and takes the space given to her. As she drives forward, the Australian backline is forced to get more and more narrow to defend as she gets closer to the goal. She, you know, completely faints and looks one way, um, drags in the centre back by carrying the ball, and then just rolls the ball in uh, to Russo. 
who hits a one-touch finish. But 90% of the work for this goal to make is done by the driving forward, the timing, the body shape, the feints of Hemp. Just a great play. Great, great play. What did you think of this goal? Yeah. and uh, Again, we're talking about World Cup semi-final. We're talking about two massive opportunities from Kerr to, to equalise. You know, and then for England to go the other end to hold the nerve and to play accurate, dangerous balls to the players that can ultimately do the damage shouldn't be underestimated because, you know, we see it week in, week out where teams are under this amount of pressure. becomes, you know, just panic, pull, well executed. Yeah, fully agree. And then so, so a hero's exit because immediately she's off and uh, replaced by Chloe Big Game Kelly. What a player to be able to bring on. 3-1 up in a World Cup semi-final, you know, two goals up in. And Gorry gets what must feel like the opposite of a hero's exit because she shoved up, subbed off for Shidiak in... What just seems like a Herculean task. Now, I'm never a believer games are over before they're over, but this is tough for Australia now. Um, as the clock hits 90, um, Australia make a defensive substitution to close out the game. Ella Toon, who played well, opened the score, and she comes off. Uh, defender Charles comes on. Uh, and as injury time ticks by, um, we got six minutes of it. You know, the physical strength of England, it just shines through. You know, Walsh. Stuffs attacks back-to-back. Ford cuts inside off the wing. Strong Stanway tackle. Um, ball comes in. Bright heads clear. Ball goes to the corner flag. Hemp milks clock and then draws foul as Australia just can't dispossess her. Um, and then the uh, Chloe Kelly gets a yellow card for what I believe is a clever play in the circumstances. Uh, Kelly chases down a lost cause. Ball goes out for a goal kick. Um, ball boy or ball girl I couldn't see which one throws it to the keeper keeper tries to put it down and take it quickly while Chloe Kelly has dribbled her ball back onto the field and acted like she's doing the Australians a favour trying to help them take a quick restart um, clever I thought you know it's a yellow but it's a, it's a way to stall the game again it's just this little bit of magic this little bit of mental engagement this little bit of quality and toughness that England have got um, they're in the World Cup final now. The, the the final whistle goes. They're in the World Cup final. They're playing Spain, and it's well deserved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I over the years I've watched quite a lot of like UFC fights, yeah. and each fighter will go into it. You know, whether they're like a, a wrestler or a, a striker or whatever it is, they'll go in with with a game plan. And, you know, obviously the best are able to technically execute that. But every now and again, you'll get two fighters that both execute the plan pretty well. You know, whether, again, it's a striker versus a wrestler. Wrestler does a great job. The uh, striker is able to defend that and and vice versa. Now, there becomes a point in, in them fights where... You know, they just have to go toe-to-toe 
and exchange blows and and sort of get through that. And and I, I feel as though... down on the mouth guard is the expression I've heard from fighters on that one. Yeah, yeah. and you know that's that's what it is, and it's very difficult to to explain. It's very difficult to put into to words. But that that bit where the other team aren't necessarily doing anything wrong and are playing well, and you yourself are not necessarily doing anything wrong and also playing well, but you have to, like you said, bite down on the mouth guard, and you you have to sort of dig in before you start to see that break. Yeah. You know that, that third goal was that that break, and then obviously you know you've just got to you've just got to get to the final whistle. Yeah. And, uh, and and again, this is the thing that I've enjoyed about them. And you, you spoke about Germany. Germany were excellent at doing this over the years. Like you don't see many teams who are able to, to, to do that, to find a way to be technically and tactically sound, but also have respect for the opposition, play great teams and still able to get through it consistently so yeah great great tournament so far we got one question before we wrap this up and move on yep. to the final. and i've already got my answer but you got lauren james she scores the winner against denmark she's the best player on the field against china she's shut down however you want to spin it against nigeria gets herself sent off She's now not the focus for the quarterfinal and semi-final. I thought England did a magnificent job. Not crying about appeals, not crying about Nigeria cheating, not crying about anything. They just concentrated. Put Ella Toon in the lineup and won and won. James is now eligible to come back. I would not start her. I would be playing the team that ground out the Columbia game. I would be playing the team that ground out the Australia game. I believe there is a Big, big difference between being brilliant in a 6-1 win v China in the group stage and the performances that Ella Toon has now put in back-to-back in very high-pressure games against very high-level opposition. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, the, the same. I, I wouldn't play it. And if I'm being brutally, brutally honest, I think I would have sent her home after the Nigeria game. There's a potential that backfires, though. Potentially. If, but if, I, I, if I your just... focus is on unity in the group, I believe a dangerous message would be you've messed up, get out. Yeah, and, and I so I, I thought about this, and I think this is how I would have, would have done it. I would have played the bad guy as head coach with saying she's, she's going home. Then I would have got the, the assistant did, coach. Did you just say it's coming home? She's going home. <laughs> but then I would have got the assistant coach to speak to the captain and to the other players and to get them to sort of create a bit of unity to see what they wanted to do, whether they wanted to keep her in Australia or if they wanted to send her home. Now, if they were pro keeping her here, then we would have had a meeting to speak about it. But I think I think that's what I would have done because you know that that should have cost England. England should have got beat by Nigeria because of that mistake. Mm-hmm. 
so there has to be repercussions to, well, to... I think I think I'd have done what Wigman's done. I think these are repercussions. Winning a quarterfinal and a semi-final without you. I think all this, you know, sudden fame and hype about being the best player in the world, potentially it's all gone already. So there's very much been consequences. Um, and I wouldn't be starting her in the final. Absolutely. No. But having her as a roll of the dice off the bench late in the second half of, you know, England have seen that against them, right? With Chicon, with uh, Vine, with Oshiwala. These opponents kept bringing these players off the bench in the knockout rounds, causing England problems. I wouldn't mind having that bullet in my gun if I was Serena Wiegman. Yeah. Especially especially with Spain. Spain are a, a, a strange, mysterious team. You know, having, having seen them open to the Japan game and they looked invincible. They looked clear favourites to win the tournament. But then they played Japan and... They looked very, you know, average. Even the stats were amazing. I, I think I read Japan had twenty eight percent of the ball and five shots on target, and they won four 0 Yeah, and Spain didn't look dangerous during that game. Mm. Japan looked like the only team that was going to win that game. Um, but then, you know, since then, Spain have just come back really, really strong. Um, so they're 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 going to be dangerous. They're going to be dangerous. Um, and it's going to be an interesting game. I've heard I heard the like commentators saying like how are England going to be deal with not having possession with Spain having all the possession? And I think it's a I think it's a valid question. Are Spain going to have the majority of the possession? Probably, but how much with that ratio? You know. It could become a little bit more more even than, say, the Japanese game, for instance. I mean, you talked about them picking up the uh, the round of 16 game I've just pulled up here. 5-1 over Switzerland. Um, their quarterfinal, 2-1 over Netherlands. Um, extra time win that was. Paralelo with a 111th minute winner. Their semi-final, 2-1 over Sweden. Uh, Palawelo with a goal again, and then an 89th minute winner by Carmona. And it's noteworthy that both teams have got goal threats because for the tournament, uh, the Golden Boot winner, um, bar a phenomenal individual performance in the final of two or more goals, is going to be Mayazawa of Japan. But England and Spain have three separate players in the list of players who've scored three goals Lauren Hemp, Lauren James, Alicia Russo. And Aitana Bonmati, Jennifer Hermoso, and Alba Redondo all scored three goals. So that is six players accounting for 18 goals. That is adequate firepower from different parts of the field on both ends, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, you know, that's what makes it unpredictable. Because there isn't that one single player that you need to, to shut down. You know, the goals can come from anywhere. So, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be some game, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back soon with the aftermath of that game. Um, Sean, keep bringing the retro heat for the YouTube oh, yeah. watchers and uh, <laughs> podcast listeners. You don't know what you're missing out on. And uh, we'll see you all soon.